I could just clap and sing to that all day. Ben can say whatever he wants, but I definitely saw him clapping and head nodding. Everybody, <laughs> welcome to episode 19, 2, 5, and 10. Uh, probably wonder why we're opening with this. My Bruins, for the first time in 15 games, actually beat the Washington Capitals on Sunday afternoon. So, uh, very excited. It almost didn't look that way at a couple of points there. OV absolutely lighting us up. But now we're here. We're here recording on a Monday night, day after the Super Bowl. We will politely yeah, just touch that. Nothing too crazy. Um, Tom Brady wins his sixth championship. Did not look like the old Tom Brady. Um, thank God for Julian Edelman just being a human pinball and getting smoked in every which direction. Gronk with the one big catch that he needed. I think everyone hammered the over and got it shoved up their ass. Um yeah, I mean, a hell of a game for both defenses. Like, watching that, I mean, I know some people think it's a little bit boring, but a legitimate chess match on both sides, definitely cool to watch. Um, now first in in front of everybody. Has the most Super Bowl rings of all time. It's killing Ben casually as I'm just dragging this on. Um, I'm going to remove the knife I from Ben Stern. I'm going to remove the knife from Ben's stomach, and I'm going to let him speak. Yeah, I knew they were going to win. I posted that on Facebook. I thought it was going to be a blowout. 34-16 was my call for the Pats. I mean, at this point, it's just, I'm just waiting until Brady retires. Like, until then, it's just every August when training camp opens, I'm just hoping the Jets finish above 500 and make a go of it before the Patriots win the Super Bowl again. That's not me giving up on the Jets at all. It's just I know that as long as Brady is there and as long as Belichick is coaching, they're going to probably win a Super Bowl every other year like they've been for the last 18 years. So I'm just waiting for him to go just like I waited for uh, Brodor to retire from the Devils because he demolished the shit out of my Rangers. Just like I waited for MJ and Alonzo Mourning to retire because they crushed the Knicks every year. So as soon as he goes, I'll be happy. How how old is he? Because he says he wants to play till forty five. I think forty two now. I believe forty two. Three more years. God. All right. I mean, he seems like one of those guys too on the other end that he might say forty five, and then at forty five, like, oh, I feel great this year. I'm going to go for another one. If he keeps okay, if he keeps going for another three years, and then everybody's like, finally, it's his last year, and they say, like, no, I want to come back for a few more. I'm just. Sam Darnold's going to retire before Brady does. <laughs> On like a strength and conditioning end of it or anything like that, like it would be freakish to see a 45 year old still be the best quarterback in the league. Like he's definitely declined a little bit, but I mean, he's still winning championships. Yeah, I don't think he's the best overall talent at quarterback at this point of his career, but if. I was being held hostage, and I was told your life depends on you choosing a quarterback that's going to drive down a field with two minutes to go and no timeouts to win a Super Bowl. I'm picking Brady every time. Oh, my God. Do you hear that music in my ears? It's fucking <laughs> phenomenal. Um, going from the top of the mountain to some unfortunate news, Austin Watson of the Nashville Predators suspended indefinitely by – the NHL, NHLPA, going into a rehab for alcohol. Had a little track record as a late. There was a run-in in, it was either June or July, with a girlfriend and a possible 
domestic assault case, uh, suspended the first, was it 17 or 18 games of the year? He was suspended initially for 27, and then they reduced it to 18. That's what it was. And um, now out indefinitely without pay, I mean, as for our end, we're just wishing the best. Hopefully he gets the help that he needs. Um, I know a lot of other players in the past have gone through the same thing. Jordan Tutu, Brian McGratton, obviously the NHL and their system for substance abuse works. Just wishing him all the best. Yeah, I mean, I you never wish bad on anybody at this point, but he's still pending the outcome of what this domestic violence case proves. I still think he's a piece of shit, even if it was because of his addiction problems that led to that situation. Uh, it's rare because this is his second violation of the joint drug agreement with the NHL and NHLPA. Uh, and this is not related to any new type of domestic violence charge. It's strictly uh, alcohol-related. The NHL doesn't have a lot of history with guys entering stage two of their program. I think the last guy was Zach Cassian in 2015, and that was because he got in like some auto- automobile accident and had to enter the program again, suspended without pay like uh, Austin Watson. Yeah, wish him well. It's just now the Predators can't bank on him to come back at all because you don't know when the suspension might end, if it does end at all. So I know it might be a little weird to twist it into, okay, now how does this impact the team on the ice when it's somebody's like life situation is trying to work on? But does this make them more active at the deadline for somebody like a Wayne Simmons to give them replace that grit and toughness in their bottom six? I didn't even think about it like that. But yeah, I mean... Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm the asshole. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying on the other end, like, Watson definitely gives them that edge. He's the one who's always fighting for him, the one who's always laying the hits. So, yeah, I mean, if in a week or two you don't know how it's going and everything else, because when these people go away into a rehab as to this extent, it's usually the first 30 days you can't even talk to people. You're just kind of away. Uh, they're just trying to get in a different environment. And everything like that. So with that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you definitely have to look at some guys that could be available that could fill that role for you. Absolutely. Maybe even like a Michael Furland. The, and the deadline is February 25th. So the Predators won't have even the ability to check in on Watson and his progress before the deadline is over. So I think they just have to operate that way. Uh Watson was a pretty high draft pick, though. Um, I know he had to reinvent himself into more of a gritty kind of enforcer type, but wasn't he a part of the Getzlaff draft back in the day? Or am I thinking of somebody else? Uh, yeah, I don't think he's that old. I think you're thinking of someone else. Okay. Yeah, I know he was like a relatively high pick, so he had a, he wasn't going to make it in that role, so he just had to kind of reinvent himself. Maybe that's what kind of helped along the alcohol abuse. Yeah, you never know. I mean... Changing roles, especially in the NHL, can definitely be difficult for some people. And, I mean, it can definitely be challenging because you hear about some fighters when they actually come out and talk about it nowadays where they're like, I couldn't even sleep during pregame nap knowing that I had to fight. Like, So I think it definitely gets in your head. And it's unfortunate that guys have to fulfill those roles. But at the same time, I think they do it for the better of the team. So it's... It's a little give and take, absolutely. Yeah, and just kind of following up on that, off the top of my head, 
I can name probably a dozen guys who are considered fighters or enforcers that we kind of grew up on or like were in a league when we were in high school and college that had substance abuse problems, whether it's uh, prescriptions, alcohol, whatever. You have Chris Simon, Aaron Ashram, uh, Boogeyman, uh, even Donald Brashear had a little bit of a run in. What was the guy that was on the Flyers for all those years? Oh my God! Just went to uh, Wade Belak. Yeah, Belak, and then there was another guy that was on a Flyers too. I remember Colton Orr, Todd Fedork. Fedork is his name. Yeah, so guys like that. I think it just comes with the role of constantly being in pain, constantly dealing with uh, having to play the roughest part uh, on a team. So I don't know. It's just a trend that's been pretty pre- prevalent around the league. As for Austin. Um... 27 years old, drafted in the first round of 2010, number 18 overall pick. Okay. Yeah, Gesslaff was what, like, oh, something? Yeah, he, he was like, yeah. I, I don't even think we were in college yet. <laughs> no, I, I, 2003, because that was a huge adjustment draft at the Rangers. Now I remember. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, because 03 was the big draft, where it was all the big names in there. Like, that first yeah. round, when you look at it, you're like, this is disgusting. And, and no, every first round pick made it to the NHL except for Hugh Justman with the Rangers. I'm I'm sorry. Like <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, sending him the best. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the situation, but it's gonna be curious to see what happens to the dead, at the deadline now. Yeah, I, I think it definitely pushes their hand a little bit. So I'll definitely be interested. That team is built to win and they're built to win now. So as to what they do or what they go for is going to be interesting and speaking of trade that line a couple teams got the action started a little bit early a couple weeks out uh the first trade was the la king sending jake muzzin to toronto uh toronto has been looking for defensive help a number one pairing defender uh since last summer pretty much and they think they got their guy and muzzin they gave up two B-level prospects and a late first-round pick to L.A., kind of an underwhelming return for the Kings. What are your thoughts on that trade? I don't know how they pulled the trigger on it. Um, Like you said, the return was definitely (laughs) underwhelming. Um, I know they're in a rebuild, but that's not the way you rebuild, man. Like Jake Muzzin's a Stanley Cup champion. I understand the whole he wanted to go home because he's from Ontario and played for the Maple Leafs, and I completely understand that. But at the same time, like the kid's 29 years old. He's locked in for this year and next year at $4 million a year. Then he goes unrestricted. And he's probably going to get at least that, if not more, on the open market again. Yeah. Um, shut down D-Man. I, I don't know what L.A. was thinking. Like you said, the, the prospects weren't that good. And it's for a first-round pick that's going to be a late pick. Like, yeah. is the draft that deep this year? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. It was a pretty surprising move. And, you know, I get as a person that Jake Muzzin probably told the Kings, hey, I would love to go back to Ontario or play for the Leafs. But if I'm the Kings, I don't give a shit if that's not the best offer. Like, you signed a contract with us. You have no trade protection. We're going to try and do right by you as best as we can, but we got to do what's right for the future of our organization. And I think he was their most marketable chip that was on a block and they cashed in for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like 
obviously they weren't going to trade Doughty. Um, they locked up Kovalchuk long term. I guess he was the guy that was going because maybe they already knew in their future they weren't going to pay him in two years. So maybe that's why they got rid of him. But I just can't believe they got rid of him for that. That's the thing. So they got rid of him. He's the Maple Leafs not only have him for this year's playoff push, they have him for next year's playoff push. And they traded him for less than what the Rangers got back for Rick Nash. I know it's like different positions, but still. And the other thing, too, now with Toronto, this kind of pushes everyone down a slot. Like, you can slot Muzzin up, and now certain guys don't have to have certain roles. Morgan Riley can now strictly just be more of an offensive guy than having to lock down the D-end if you put them together. Zaitsev's going to be a little bit better, not as much stress. Jake Gardner, I don't know. I mean, I know they kind of beat the crap out of him up there. But, like, I don't know about him. You know what you're getting with Ron Hainsey, just kind of like an old grizzled vet. So I think it definitely helps them. They definitely lock down their decor for a playoff push. I think Toronto's all in, man. I think they're trying to win it all. The problem for me with the deal, and you forgot Dermot, who I'm really high on. When the Rangers were looking at trading McDonough and Toronto was interested, I was hoping they might get him back in a deal. But the thing is, yeah, you can put Muzzin on the top pairing with Riley, and it kind of gives Riley that stay-at-home security blanket on the back end. And now Riley's playing off his, on his offside. Um, Muzzin has never played the right side in his career. Uh, Babcock even mentioned he's like, he, besides that, he's new to the team. We want to make him feel as comfortable as possible at first. I know I would have made the trade if I was Toronto because that return was pretty much nothing. Uh, but I always thought they needed a right-handed shot defenseman to pair with Riley on a top pair. So now it's kind of curious to see what's going to happen with one of them playing on our offside. I still think they make a move for another defenseman. I don't think they trust Zaitsev at all in the top four, playing with Gardner. And I think Gardner needs a stay-at-home guy, which is why I still think a guy like Ben Lovejoy or even Adam McQuaid would be a cheap get for Toronto to put in the top four. Do you see me doing the fingers casting the spell? Ben Stradamus is speaking the game. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Ben Stradamus, last week you called that they were going to trade for a defenseman. Not the right guy, but I mean no one saw this trade coming we were all like holy shit like and then when i saw what it was i'm like there has to be more to this yeah and i thought it was gonna it. be more too hey yeah i don't know i still think they need help on a back end now babcock's been getting into a habit of putting marlowe marner and matthews together with the three m's on the line and just powering it up so one other thing i know it's just random and we're just talking about Toronto, so that's why it's coming up more than anything. But do you think, it doesn't happen very often in the NHL, but do you think someone tries to offer Sheet Matthews or Marner? I mean, I could see that happening. It's just that I think the offer sheet for the amount of money you would have to offer those guys to oh, sign. Yeah. Your and picks for, are gone. Gone. Yeah, I think it's like five first-round picks. It would be up there. Yeah. Yeah. It would be substantial. I know there's been kind of talk around the Rangers around wanting to speed up the rebuild at the, this deadline and then this summer come free agency. And I took that as like somewhat like Panarin. But apparently they're looking at they're stockpiling all these draft picks because they might make an offer sheet to a team that's up against a cap for a young top six forward or defense or top pairing defenseman. So we'll see what happens with that. I know the Rangers fucked everybody over when they offer sheeted Joe Sackick back in the day. 
<laughs> um, on to the next trade. Who do we have there? Broussard being dealt from Pittsburgh. My boy, big game Derek, uh, being dealt along with Riley Sheehan, who was a free agent bust for the Penguins, uh, going to Miami, playing for the Panthers. Nick Bustad, former first-round pick of the Panthers, along with uh, Jared McCann going to uh, the Penguins. What are your thoughts? I think this is very interesting for one reason. I think Florida is all in on Panarin and uh, Bobrovsky because they just took guys off of their cap that were locked up for another couple of years and bringing on unrestricted free agents, just paying them for the year, getting people off the books. I think they're making a hard push. I know Panarin said he'd love to play in Florida. Can't blame him. Tax-free, sunny, golf, Miami Beach. Good team. I mean, still TBD. We thought they were a good team this year. They've been shit. Yeah, they have enough talent, I guess, is the difference. Uh, Yeah, I guess they have the talent to do something, but we still haven't seen it yet. So I'm curious to see what happens, man. I I think if they make a push and they get both of them starting off next year, July 1st, yeah, they're looking a lot prettier. Yeah, I noticed that too. That I mean, Bustad's a good player, and he is more used to being a jack of all trades type of guy. That he's going to take on that role with the Penguins more than Broussard, who's really struggled ever since going to Pittsburgh in that third line center role, where he didn't get a lot of offensive zone starts or power play time. So he was kind of miscast as a you know, depth center. So I think this move to Florida is going to help him. Bustad uh, is going to be that 3C to start. They even said he can play the wing if necessary. So can you imagine him lining up next to big Evgeny Malkin uh, late in the game in a defensive situation, 6'6 guy? Uh, you know, Rutherford really talked up Jared McCann at the end, saying speed guy, terrific shutdown defender who can pot some goals here and there. Just with the Penguins luck, I wouldn't be surprised if he turns into a 20-goal guy next year or something. Oh, yeah, and I mean, the other part of it, too, was earlier in the week, uh, Jimmy Rutherford sent in Jamie Alexiak to Dallas for the, oh, yeah. for the fourth-round pick, so basically just making room for these other two guys. So he was two steps ahead of the curve. He must have already had that other one lined up somewhere. But this definitely makes Pittsburgh stronger, no doubt about it. And with the other guys already having a couple of years locked in, you can kind of slot your team around that cap wise yeah and florida if i'm florida i turn around and trade broussard before the deadline you have a couple weeks now i know his value isn't super high after his stint in pittsburgh Uh, i think he has two years one more year left on his deal at five million uh, for next season but if i'm florida i put him as my second line center give him all the power play time in the world try and get him going again rack up a few points show other teams that He's still that kind of 1A center that he was with the Rangers uh, during the Rangers' run for the Stanley Cup and maybe even pawn him off for another prospect in the second-round pick or something. I mean, they definitely could do it. I mean, I don't know what their game plan is. Like, I, I immediately jump to the Panarin thing where they're just trying to get things off the books. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there's another part of it where then they send him out again, like you said, and they get picked. So now not only can they shoot for Panarin, but now they can build the future too. Yeah, and talking about Panarin and Bobrovsky, Columbus is in a tough spot. You know, they're 7-7 and since the holiday break. Is this the team they are, 
or is the team at the beginning of the year the real identity of the Blue Jackets where you know you kind of had the idea that they might be able to give teams like Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, maybe even a Tampa if Bob got hot in a on the playoffs a run for the money or are they just a product of a weak Eastern Conference and Metro Division and if they keep both guys, they lose them for nothing in the summer, and then they have nothing to build off of. Yeah, I think after John Tavares last year, they have to trade him. I just don't see, because uh, I am all for, if you think you can win it, go for it. But after what happened last year with the Islanders and him going somewhere else, there is no way an NHL GM is going to let it happen. Like, I just... Yarmo Kikalainen has been around a long time, and he's way too smart for it. He said he already put a price as to what Panarin would cost. What that price is, I don't know. I'm sure GMs have talked. Uh, Panarin's agent has come out, Dan Milstein, and he said, we are no longer talking about Artemi's situation. We will talk with the team at the end of the season. With that being said, he's not resigning there. That's what that no. means. Um, you have to deal him. Have to. Because I, I don't see how... Columbus gets better without dealing him because they need return because if he's gone at the end next year who's going to go sign in Columbus yeah he's not going back there yeah so if you're Columbus you know I don't have a problem trading Borowski because if anything has been proven around a league you don't need to have a eight million dollar a year franchise goalie to win a cup or make a deep run um or even be a con- like a playoff contender. So I don't mind moving him, even though he's an upcoming free agent. But losing Panarin, I know the Islanders are made a ridiculous decision to hold on to Tavares. They weren't even a, really the playoff race, and they kept him, like Columbus is. So they really messed up with that. If I'm Columbus, I'll trade Borowski. Florida's an interesting position because they still have Luongo on the books for next year, um, even though he gets hurt all the time. So maybe he is ready for like that 1A or backup role. But if I'm Columbus and I'm training Panarin, I don't want two top prospects in a first-round pick. I want somebody that can hopefully replace Panarin's production at some point. Oh, yeah. Like, you need a player now. It's a yeah. player now, it's a pick, and it's probably a prospect. They a were high talking level about, prospect. Yeah, Larry Brooks mentioned this today, and take that with a grain of salt, but he kind of was thinking out loud and said, what about a Kevin Hayes plus for Panarin? I think the only thing would be they would have to talk to Hayes' agent and he would have to guarantee he would sign there. That's the only way this works. If they're going for a player they're trading for, they need the guarantee he's signing there. And I don't think anyone's going to guarantee it because Hayes, if when Hayes hits the market, he's what? 5.25 right now. Yeah. He's going to get at least six mil, probably seven. Yeah. At least six. We could probably agree six and a half. That's probably where he's going at. Yeah. I mean, could he bend Columbus over and get seven, seven and a half and kind of be up there with Atkinson? Sure. But does he want to go there? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's sucks as a hockey fan because Columbus finally started getting it right with Tortorella um, and that whole management team. And now once they start getting it right, their two main stars are free agents at the end of the season. And now they have to move them. They were talking, Panera got some boobs at home in the last home game. I mean, you're a pro. Which is good deal for Columbus. They have some passion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's the way they look at it. But currently on a five-game losing streak. Yeah. I, 
I don't know. They probably got to shake it up. But at the same time, I don't think another GM wants to sell the farm for a guy who's not guaranteed to be there. He's just a high-level rental. And those returns are always a little bit disappointing for the team trading a guy like Panarin because he is a free agent. Like, I w- If I'm them and I was trading for prospects or a pick, I wouldn't be expecting like this huge package in return. I just, what teams would be interested that they know Panarin probably won't sign before the season's over, so they know it's a pure rental. Outside of Florida, I mean, they could send Broussard as part of the deal back to uh, Columbus. I don't know if Florida has enough of the young talent that they can move remove from the roster to keep around Panarin for the remainder of his time there. I know Chicago was mentioned as a possible destination, but what do they have to give up? I'm just trying to think out loud of, if you had to make a call, Panarin's definitely getting dealt, and it's going to a team that thinks they can make the playoffs and make a run and doesn't care that he would leave at the end of the season. Where would he go? If it doesn't cost us a player, you give him a first-round pick, and you give him a Ryan Donato, or you give them a JFK. Or, and, or, and or, first. or an Anders Bjork. I, I don't think you let DeBrusque go. Just, just with him being a rental, you don't let him go. Because you slot him with DeBrusque on that line. DeBrusque, Krejci, Panarin. You know, I know they're division rivals. And the odds of this happening are probably slim to none. But I think Columbus might be interested because they know he wouldn't be able to re-sign there long term because of their cap situation. So it would be a rental. They don't have to worry about facing him multiple times in a year starting next year. No, Pittsburgh needs a top six winger. I just don't know what Rutherford has to give up. Uh, unless he plans on spinning Bugstad again. Or, and I know I'm blanking on his name, uh, Gensel. That would actually be big. But at the same time, too, Gensel kind of reminds me of Krejci a little bit in the sense of he may be quiet in the regular season, but when the playoffs come on, that light switch goes and he produces. Yeah, I would, I'm just trying to... Panarin and Crosby on a line, or Panarin and Malkin, and then Bustet's up in the top six. Like, I don't know. So, Pittsburgh, if I had to make a bet, if I'm Columbus, I'm dealing into the Western Conference just in case I make the playoffs still. So, that kind of narrows the list down. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. Kind of a shitty situation for the Blue Jackets as an organization. Random one uh, team in the Western Conference. What about St. Louis? Because they've had that roster we thought was going to be good, they've done shit. Maybe they're trying to switch it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I predicted they'd make the playoffs, and they've been on a run. They're only like one point out of the last spot now. They do have some talent on that team that they can give up. Uh, maybe like a Braden Shen. I would love like the Bruins personally to get Braden Shen, but yeah, I think if you're going to get something back, why not? And then you have Tarasenko on a team that can try and convince Panarin to stay long-term. Yeah, a little Russian on Russian love. And Tarasenko's <laughs> there long-term. so Which might come off as a little racist. I mean, they go, oh, there's another Russian on a team. I will stay long-term. but <laughs> hey, You never know how these things work. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting uh, choice, too. I would have said Colorado, but I don't think Colorado is in a position to make a move saying that they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender at this point. So I wouldn't be giving up a lot of young talent. No, I wouldn't either because I think within the next couple of years, they're definitely going to rebuild and get a little bit better. So it's hard selling your farm for a rental. Yeah, so this episode is pretty heavy on deadline talk. I know 
you probably before moves really start flying uh, before the deadline. You want to get a little you know, groundwork in on the Bruins and the Rangers and who might be on the move from the Rangers' point of view because we're rebuilding and who the Bruins might be interested in bringing in or what type of player you guys might be interested in bringing in. Uh, I saw that Rask is back, so I think that little situation about maybe bringing in a goalie is off the table now, but sounds like you guys are looking for some depth offense, like a third line help uh, to prop you guys up a little bit. Yeah, we definitely need a top six right winger. That that second line is they're struggling right now. Th- this team completely relies on that Marshan Bergeron Pasternak line. So we need a top six right winger to come in and definitely. This is the thing I hate about deadline acquisitions though too, because sometimes shit just doesn't mesh like chemistry wise. Yeah. Like you know, I might go to give you a pass and you're behind it. I might try to slow it up. Not like I just feel like. Sometimes you push for it and it doesn't work. Like if Rick Nash didn't get hurt, would it have worked? I don't know. Uh, like last year when I saw him, it seemed like sometimes it was good, and then it seemed like sometimes it was just, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. So I don't he know. He just described his last few years as a Ranger. <laughs> yeah. Um, but player wise, like we were saying, I think you have to consider either a Wayne Simmons or a Braden Shen. You get someone to play that right side. Um, the Wayne train would definitely be a fan favorite here in Boston. And Braden Shen, I mean, shit, I remember we were in the AHL. The kid was absolutely tearing it up in oh, Manchester. Yeah, like, filthy. And I still think he's a good player. I still think he can produce. I understand out of a contract, blah, 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 he's on the table. Have at it. I like him. So it sounds like your idea of the perfect fit for that top six winger is more of that old school... Uh, gritty two-way type of forward and not really somebody who's like a perimeter player more offensively skilled or might take a few more chances i feel like one thing david Krejci has always done is when he feels protected like when he had lucic on his wing when he had horton on the other wing he was phenomenal and he knew that he could go in the corner if he took a bump he would be spoken for and I feel like he doesn't have that protection currently, so he might be shying away a little bit. So I feel like if you bring in like a Wayne Simmons or something, a guy who's going to get in there, a guy who's going to get in your face, who's going to bite your fucking hair off, you feel a little bit more protected. Would you give up a first for Simmons? Because no. apparently that's a going price. No, I would not give a first for Wayne Simmons. You know, I have... you The whole time you were talking about what type of winger and gave a few examples, I just had this sneaking suspicion, a guy who's used to playing a right side, I know Simmons is a left winger, Shen's primarily a center that has played wing, so he's really versatile. What about Michael Furland? I think he is a wild card in this situation because I feel like he could come here and thrive. He is a right wing, so it's not like he has to change positions. Um, Krejci will definitely get him the puck. He's a younger guy, so him and DeBrusque should should get along for the most part. Um, tough guy too. Yeah, tough guy too. He gives you that grit in the lineup. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to cost you as much as Wayne Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, the reason why I asked what type of skill set you're looking for is I know the Rangers are going to be moving Zuccarello, and he's on fire. You know, he was hurt for a little bit, and then he was, when he came back, he was playing pretty poorly, and then he had a meeting with uh, David Quinn and uh, the front office about... He wanted to get some shit off his chest, basically, about all the rumors flying around. 
and they were very upfront with him. Pretty much told him, "Listen, we love you. Well, everything you've done for the team, but as a free agent, we're gonna move you. But we don't have any problems with negotiating with you for a new contract over the summer." So that's why I, I asked about uh, what type of guy you're looking for because Zuccarello could slide in as a top six winger for a team like Boston or Pittsburgh. I know I mentioned Panarin going there. Uh, I know last year at the deadline, Calgary was interested. Colorado's still looking for uh, some second-line help, so I can see Zuccarello being pretty attractive in the market for like a prospect in a second-rounder or something. And is Zuccarello a right-winger as well? He's a right-winger, but he's a lefty shot. And, and that's okay, too. I mean, as long as he's comfortable playing that offside, I'd be fine with that. Because DeBrusque has been playing the offside a little bit, kind of here and there. And it's not really working. So as long as he could come in and fill a role and be comfortable with it, I'm okay with that. And Zuccarello would definitely help us in the speed department where I know in the playoffs it can kind of be a a dump and chase game a little bit where it's a little bit more gritty in the corners. But if we could come in with a lot more controlled entries, I think that gives us a lot more chances of scoring goals. Yeah, and Zuc's great at carrying a puck over the blue line. He's an asset on a power play. And I know he's like 5'8 with his skates on, but that little boy don't take shit from nobody. So he's not going to get pushed around very easily. Uh, he he challenged Char to a fight a couple of years ago. Remember that? Like there was a scrum in front of Ned and then he like challenged him to drop the gloves. <laughs> he would have gotten murdered. <laughs> Do you think uh, Chara thought it was Marshan and Marshan thought it was the wrong person? He's like, oh, hey, what's <laughs> well, up, Z? <laughs> after the game, they asked Char about it. And he was just like, yeah, he said some things that I don't want to repeat. And I gave him a lot of respect, but I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, all I kept saying back to him was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, so that's why I asked. I definitely see Zuccarello being, because he's a rental, so he's not going to cost as much. I know the Rangers moved Grabner for a second-round pick and a B-level prospect, defenseman uh, Rikoff at to New Jersey last year. So I can see a similar return coming on. Uh, so but besides another top-six winger, and the typical picking up like a seventh or eighth defenseman, you guys seem pretty set roster wise. Yeah, I think that's all we need. I don't think there needs to be anything else that's fiddled with. Um, Cassidy has been very forward lately as to the defenseman, at least. If you're not playing, like if you're not doing your job, you're not playing. He scratched Matt Grizzlick a game, he put in John Moore. Next game, he took Moore right back out. Grizzlick was right back in. So I think he's sending messages going forward as to. If you're not producing or doing whatever it is that makes you good to us, you will be upstairs. Yeah, and I was going to actually ask about how Grizzlick's been playing because kind of an underdog type defenseman. He's, I've always been like a little bit of a fan of his from afar, so it's nice to see him getting a pretty legit opportunity this year. Oh, I, I was upset when the beginning of the season came and he was that seventh defenseman that scratch because I, I think he earned his spot in the lineup. I think. Grizzlick is a great player. He's better defensively than Tory Krug is, and if anyone wants to come on here and argue with me, fucking have at it because Grizzlick is better defensively than Krug. Is Krug better offensively? Yes, but I'm saying Matt Grizzlick is better defensively. Let's not argue. Um, he's, he's a tremendous asset with the first man pass out of head man pass out of the defensive zone. Oh, phenomenal! And on top of it too, he is a great second power play like quarterback. Like, he pushes the puck around. He does phenomenal. And we got him for a stale. That money we signed yeah. him to was an absolute joke. And <laughs> I, I think the Bruins knew that once they talked to him. And 
granted, I know he's a local kid, so he's probably taking a little bit of a hometown discount to stay here. I mean, grew up in the building, his father being a part of the Bull Gang. But yeah, there is no question. McAvoy, What's your top four of the playoffs start today? Actually, what's your top six in order by defensive pair? Playoffs start tomorrow. Chara has like seven points on a year. Like Jesus, man, he he's been awful, and like this has to be his last year. It has to be. They they got him on a year to year now, and this kind of leads me into our next topic too afterwards. But he has to retire and give that seat to Bergeron. We're we'll get to that next. <sighs> but um, McAvoy and Chara, I think Chara kind of bails him out a little bit. Okay. Um, Krugen Miller. And, okay. and then it would be Grizzlick and Carlo. Or is it Krug and Carlo? I think it's Krug and Carlo and Grizzlick and Miller. That's not a that's a pretty solid top six. Yeah, I mean I, I think our defense is fine. I don't think there's any problems with it. Yeah. I've just always been a fan of Grizzlick. So if the Rangers end up trading one of our guys to Boston, I'd be thrilled if we can get him back and see what he can do in like a top four role. I know we have Plenty of young defensemen who haven't been able to be consistent with Pionk and Shea and D'Angelo. But, um, yeah, for the Rangers, kind of touched on Zuccarello a little bit. Sad to see him go. It's just another member of the 2014 team that's going to be shipped off. He's Hank's best friend on the team, so got to play that delicately with that whole messaging. Uh, Kevin Hayes is the probably, outside of Panarin, the top forward on the market. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's can play any role you need. He can play in a power play, penalty kill. He can be uh, your second line center offensively. He can be a very shut down defensive center like he was last year for the team. Strong possession stats. Six four, two twenty, nice size. He doesn't. He's not like a gritty fighter or anything, but he is almost Yager like in being able to use his body along the boards, protect the puck. He's. Very well sought after. The teams I've heard interested in him so far, Boston, obviously, for like, they could shift into the wing too. He's played right wing in college. Uh, Colorado has been interested. The team that's really hot on Hayes, apparently, is the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, to put him in a 3C role. Can yeah. you imagine putting him in there with that lineup they already have? Yeah, and it was just like they want to make the push now because they think Nashville is a little bit weak and they have the picks and the prospects to give up for somebody like that, which. Fine by me. If that's the strongest package, send them there. But I'm actually I'm, I'm going to run through a few other names, but I actually think Hayes ends up in Dallas. Okay, can I ask you one question before you go on the other one? Yeah. What are you looking for for Hayes in return? But the other thing is Hayes really likes it in New York. Do you think he yeah. would go somewhere at the deadline and then re-sign back with you guys? So... I, I like Hayes. I don't think he's a franchise guy or a number one center. I think he's a really, really good second-line center for a legit contender. The problem is he's going to want a six-, seven-year deal. Yeah, max it out or close to it. Yeah, and he's, at that point, the last three years of his deal, he's going to be 30, 31, and 32, I think, or 31, 32, 33. And I'm just really... You know, gun, gun shy, especially after the Broussard trade. We gave him a five-year deal. I was going to bring him to those same years, and we see how the last three have gone for him. He's not a very fast player, and the league keeps getting quicker, and I'm just worried about if he starts losing a, the step that he has now, which is still average at best, 
mm-hmm. how that contract's going to look long term. Yeah, I mean, very reasonable, very reasonable reasons to be cautious. If I if it was a choice between him and Panarin, I'm taking Panarin every day because we have Zabanajad, who's finally morphed into a legitimate first line center on pace for 37 goals and 85 points. You have Heedle for the second line center role next year, finally putting him back in his natural position. You have Leas Anderson and Brett Howden down the middle. That That's solid building for next year. Yeah, so I know Winnipeg's after him. I want to say Dallas gets him because they've won four or five in a row. Uh, they're actually third in the uh, Central now, so they're out of that wild card a little bit, a little bubble a little bit. Um, if I'm... What I'm looking for in return is as much potential top six forwards as possible, like wingers and right-handed shot defensemen. The Rangers loaded up on lefty shot defensemen at the deadline last year and in the draft. Outside of Heedle, we don't really have a top six. Well, Kraft's off, but he hasn't come to North America yet. Really prospects in the system. Uh, so in that sense, like for a Dallas, like a Dennis Garyanoff. And a first-round pick, like, sign me off of that. Or if it's Winnipeg, uh, the first-round pick, they have that. Hold on, let me look it up. They have a left-winger power forward prospect that was drafted under first round a few years ago. Um, that's been playing pretty well. What is it? It's not Kyle Connor, is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I don't think he's up for a negotiation. Um, he's not listed anymore. Did they move him? Anyway, I'll figure it out. I'll look it up uh, as your... Oh, no, Christian uh, Veselainen. Why do you have a hard-on for Russians for? He's not Russian, man. He's not Russian. I think he's Finnish. Come on, let me check this out. Call me out right now. <laughs> yeah, he's Finnish. There we go. Bam. First round pick, 24th overall in 2017. 6'3", 207. He's still 19 years old. He's dominating the men's league over in Europe right now. So that would be a type of guy. Gary Onoff is another... A uh, big-bodied, skilled guy who is reminiscent of Chris Kreider that I'd be interested in. Um, but yeah, Hayes is the biggest get we're going to have on the market, so we better cash it in as best as possible. Zook, we already talked about. Uh, McQuaid, we traded a fourth-round pick for him. He's been pretty solid in the locker room, helping settle down young defensemen like uh, Pionk and Shea. If we can flip him for a third-round pick and a prospect like we did for Nick Holden at the deadline last year, that would be great. Uh, Cody McLeod, if we can turn that into anything, because we picked them up basically off waivers. So if we even even if we flip them for a fifth round pick, that's a win as far as like resource management for the team. Uh, a couple names that might be a little bit surprising: Neil Pionk. I'm trying to cash in right now. All of his underlying numbers are terrible. He's put up. He hasn't put up as many points as he did early in the year. But he's a young, cheap, righty shot defenseman. His counting numbers look good. So if I was able to move him to a team like Edmonton, who's always on a search for a righty shot defenseman of like Paul Jarvie, first round pick, take a flyer on him, see what happens. I, I think Chiarelli already got fired, bud. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, Keith Gretzky's there, so we can just tell him that Wayne signed off on it. Um, so that's one. Mark Stahl, it, the Rangers, I know, would have to eat some of that money, uh, but he only has two years left. He's had a really good year as a shutdown uh, number four or five defenseman, so I can see a playoff team that thinks is going to contend for the next two years being interested. Uh, Vlad and Mesnikov, nice little depth third, fourth line, two-way forward who can score, play center and wing. And lastly, 
the experiment has ended. Pavel Buchnevich is either going to be dealt this deadline or over the summer. I think for one of our first uh, apparel making, I'm going to make a shirt that said Ben loves the Ovs, and then on the OVS, it'll be like in the Red Army colors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Vladimir Putin, too. <laughs> and on that note, 2, 5, and 10 has now ended. Um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of like the quick preview. Uh, Zook and Hayes are at the top, and then you have a couple little depth pieces that contenders might be willing to dish off a lower-level prospect or a mid-round pick for. Well, now getting on to the most excited and, I mean, just excited part of this show. I've been waiting since the beginning. Patrice Bergeron, his next game tomorrow night, Tuesday, against Winnipeg, which should be a pretty good game, will be playing in his 1,000th game. Stanley Cup champion, four-time Selkie winner. Um, legit, Patrice Rafters Bergeron, because that's where 37's going once he retires. Uh, 305 goals, 473 assists for 778 points in 112 playoff games, 31 goals, 55 assists for 86 points. Phenomenal. I mean, anything you want out of this guy, he he Mm -hmm. does. He scores goals. He sets up goals, back checks like a motherfucker, like legit franchise player. He should have had the C since I would say that 2013 year when we lost to Chicago, in in the finals, I mean, going to that a little bit more. Like, why do you feel like they should have taken the C from Chara? I, I feel like Chara should have gave it to him, it, and, and it pisses me off that Chara has it in his contract that he's supposed to be the captain of the Boston Bruins. That was what they gave him when he first came over. But this guy played with a broken nose, punctured lung, and broken ribs, getting nerve blocks so he can actually play. Like, issues. like the guy is an absolute fucking warrior and he would have hit this thousandth game a lot sooner if it wasn't for those concussion issues. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like this is our guy. This has been our guy. He probably should have got the C when Chara signed with us. But yet again, one of those things, this is his team. It's been his team for years. I need Chara to move on and or just give him the C. And I've argued this for years and. Big Z, blah, 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 like, shut the fuck up. It's Bergie's team, like, you're a fucking idiot. So with that, your thoughts on Patrice Bergeron? I've made it very well known that, as opposed to his sniveling piece of shit line made Brad Marchand, I am a humongous fan of Patty Bergeron. Even when we were in college together in Boston, when you guys went on that cup run on B Vancouver, he was the guy that... For me, even as a Rangers fan, and I wasn't a guy that hopped on a bandwagon and tried pretended like I was a Bees fan. I was just a fan rooting for you guys to win a cup because uh, I was friends with a lot of Bruins fans like you and Mike. Uh, finally, get a cup for you guys. But Bergeron made it very easy. Does plays the game the right way, keeps his head down, never gets into trouble. Is for all accounts a fantastic teammate, leader in the locker room. Like you said, does every, anything you need of him. You need a uh, Defensive zone win late in the game. Yeah, you yeah. got it. The, the first time he played for Team Canada, that first Olympics, the reason why he was on that team was to win defensive zone draws. Legitimately, the only re- reason yeah. why he was on that. Out of all the talent on that fucking team, that's why <laughs> they put him on there. The exactly. He, I think I would say 
I know Daksuk was a pretty good defensive guy. I know there's plenty of good two-way guys. I would say, what year did he make his debut again? 03-04. Since that time, even ahead of Kopitar, even ahead of Taves, I know Taves, have had, Taves has had better offensive production seasons at his peak. Bergeron's the best two-way forward I've seen in the last 15 years. Oh, no question. And, and there's no argument. And like you said, I mean, Kopitar kind of comes into the conversation a little bit. Same thing with Taves. But yeah, when it comes to the best, it's him. And if he wins another Selkie, I mean, I don't know how at some point it doesn't switch to the Bergeron trophy. So here's the thing with Bergeron. Here's why, besides everything I've already listed about this guy, I sound like a fucking Bruins fan at this point. The thing I love about him is he legitimately will chop the gloves if he needs to. Like, he doesn't want to. He doesn't cheap shot anybody. He doesn't go around playing that rough stuff. But that fight against Malkin in the playoffs a few years back was the definition of fuck this shit and then dropping him with a much bigger guy just to set the tone that we're not going to get pushed around uh, on the ring tonight. Oh, Perfect. It was, it was that. It was the playoff fight he had against Josh Georges this first fight oh, yeah. of his career. He comes out with this left right down Main <laughs> Street and fucking drops him. Like, perfect player. I've always been a fan of him. I always wish the Rangers were able to get a guy like him. He's going to be a lifetime Bruin, hopefully, unless something happens the last year or two of his career. Um, but, yeah, just for our lifetime, I know Neely's the Hall of Famer. He's the team president. I think he's this generation's like Mr. Bruin, right? Oh, it has to be. No, no one else is even close. Yeah, so fantastic. second-round pick. Debuted at 18, like, incredible. Like, the fact that he was that undervalued heading into his draft year, even though he was still a second-round pick, ridiculous. One of the funniest things I remember about him was when he first came over, uh, they were finishing the Zakem Bridge. It was in, like, the final stages. <laughs> so he could, like, barely speak any English, and they just started um, with the Boston Bruins, like, the license plates. So he's on a Zamboni on the Zakem Bridge, and, like, he has a car. He's like, eh, Nice plates. I want them too. And like, dude, I laugh every time I ever think about that commercial. <laughs> so, he was so French. It wasn't even funny. And so I put up a poll on our uh, Facebook page. I asked because a lot of our fans are either Bruins fans or like Northeast uh, region hockey fans. With his thousandth game coming up, who has been the most important Bruin over the last 10 years. And I had Bergeron listed for obvious reasons, and then I had Char listed because his free agent signing, along with very good drafting uh, by the front office, pretty much coincided with the Bruins turning into a legit year-in and year-out Stanley Cup contender. Uh, Surprising results, I thought it would be more split, runaway for Patty. 82% say he's the most important Bruin over the last 10 years. Oh, I mean, and it shouldn't even be close. It, yeah, I was just a little bit surprised. I thought it would be like 60-40, 65-35, something like that. But no, I mean, Chara, I think, got so much recognition because he was such an oddity. Like a 6-9 freak freak who could play the game, wasn't slow, was able to play offensively, play tough, like pretty much give you whatever you need as a number one defenseman. Um, I think that's why he got as much attention as he did, and plus with his slap shot. Um, but yeah, Bergeron, runaway winner of that poll. And thanks for everybody who voted. Uh, we had like 30-something votes, I think, on a Facebook page. And I just wanted to touch on this really quick. 
we talked about the 20, 2003 draft earlier because the Rangers took Hugh Justman 12th overall. I want to make two points about this draft. The Rangers took Justman 12th. Here's a list of players that were taken after Hugh Justman in the first round. Dustin Brown, Brent Seabrook, Steve Bernay, Zach Ruizzi, Ryan Gislaff, Brent Burns, Mark Stewart, Ryan Kessler, Mike Richards, Brian Boyle, Corey Perry, Patrick Eves. That's all in the first round. Second round, yeah, Louis Erickson, uh, Kevin Klein, uh, Patrice Bergeron was taken 33 picks after Hugh Justman. Shoot me. I was going to say, whoever was in charge of your scouting department. Like, see, they're messed up. And then I know, I'm not going to go off on this tangent, but then again with, like, that Dylan McElrath pick a few years later after that, like, Jesus Christ. But Bergeron, yeah, the Rangers had a chance at Ber- uh, Bergeron in that draft and right, pretty much passed up on that opportunity, just like even the Bruins did in the first round. But, yeah. Whoa. Um, <laughs> going into this week, do you want to go first for lock of the week, game of the week? What do you got? Uh, yeah, I, my big call of the underdog blues knocking off the Blue Jackets helped me out in uh, lock of the week picks, two-game win streak with the Blues help, so I appreciate that. Um, we are recording on a Monday, so I'm going to avoid looking at the scores for tonight's games that are already taking place to predict anything. Uh, first, I'm going to go with my game of the week pick. Uh, a lot of good games this week. You have San Jose playing Winnipeg. You have Vegas against Tampa. But I'm going to go pretty much my tradition here, going on later in the week. I'm going to go Saturday, February 9th. Not necessarily game of the week because it's the two best teams, but I'm just going to go game of the week because of the wild card implications. Dallas on the road against Arizona. I know it's a shitty Western Conference. It's pretty much the only notable storyline going is what two crap teams are going to make it in a wild card in the Western Conference. And those team, teams are right there in it. Dallas has been on a little bit of a win streak. So I'm going to go with that for game of the week. It's on a road in Arizona. And my lock of the week, you know, this took a lot of thought process. But, you know, I'm going to have to go the Boston Bruins or the LA Kings. All right. I mean, I'm hoping that's solid. But last time you picked us, we lost. So uh... Yeah, against my Rangers, so I can't complain too much. Um, you kind of hit on my pick of the week. I was going Thursday, San Jose at Calgary. I think in the Pacific, these two are just a freight train running into each other. And I think that's definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, my other lock of the week, Vancouver at Washington. Vancouver stands no chance. Ovi's going to light him up. So what about Elias Peterson or Peterson or whatever the hell he's called? <laughs> He'll score a goal. Just one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be interesting just because going back to the San Jose-Calgary thing, I still think San Jose is going to be the best second-half team in the league or win that division. It's going to be really close uh, winning the division over Calgary, but yeah, that's going to be one of many important games down, down the line for those two teams. Do we have any uh, history today? We always have history, man. Uh, this one is very Pittsburgh Penguin-heavy. My apologies to everybody out there since the Penguins can't kiss my ass. Unless we're going to be interviewing a Penguin, then we love you. Um, 1997, Mario Lemieux scores his 600th goal. Uh, His goal came into an empty net in his 719th game, which was only one more game than Gretzky needed to get to 600. 
Lemieux became the first player in NHL history to score 600 goals while spending his entire career with one team. And lastly, 2003, Yarmir Yager scores his 500th NHL goal and completes a natural hat-trick when the Capitals beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 5-1. Yager was playing in his 928th game, becoming the 33rd player to score 500 goals. Uh, And he reaches 30 goals in a season for the 12th time in his 13 NHL years. And exactly 13 years later, in 2006, Yager became the sixth player with 1,100 assists uh, when he was on the Panthers visiting the Detroit Red Wings. I'm actually surprised he's still not playing. But um, he, he signed to the deadline. Like, that's the big trade. You guys bring him back. <laughs> that would be a fucking riot. Um, who do you got for shout-outs this week? Uh, shout-outs, I'm going to obviously first lady. Um appreciate everything she does and now you can give me my five dollar allowance for saying that <laughs> uh my second shout out you know this is coming from a jets fan this is not going to be a uh, tom brady suck fest here i'm just going to give a shout out to a guy who has run into some trouble on his, of his own doing as a patriot but coming from the seventh round even later than uh mr patriot tom brady and becoming legitimately the most dynamic slot receiver slash most reliable guy. If you need a completion on a third and long or a fourth and five, and you need it to get in a field goal range, you don't want anybody else out there. Julian Edelman. In that beard. That gets him extra points. Yeah, I mean, if you compare his him and Brady, they're... NFL draft combine photos to what they look like now. It's like, how much money did you spend to get that done? <laughs> Peanut butter and jealous. Um, <laughs> shout outs this week. First shout out Trent Frederick. Welcome to Boston. First career game gets into a scrap with Brandon Tanov and absolutely tunes him up. Oh, oh yeah. And I saw the video with his parents in the crowd. Oh yeah. Dude, they were fired up. They're, like it was awesome. I mean, towards the end of a period, the kid goes right down the tunnel. You want to talk about a place going crazy? Welcome to town. Um, a big shout-out to Fast Phil, a huge friend of the show who should hopefully be coming on soon with us. He actually texted me about our Winter Classic picks as to who should play Dallas. And he okay. came up with Philadelphia. He said that Sunday before they should have a Cowboys-Eagles game, and then the riffraff will stay around for the Winter Classic. And I was like, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, not bad. Philly's also been a lot of outdoor games. They have another one against the Penguins again. Uh, yeah, it's coming up. Just, yeah, they just released their uh, Stadium Series jerseys, which looks like traffic cones um, for the Flyers, just bright-ass orange. But, yeah, that's not a bad idea. And my last one, well, two more. Um, Big Red, she had a great birthday. Went to Eric Church. Phenomenal. Always see the Chief live. We went. Happy 21st, Amanda. Yes, yes. Happy 21. Uh, We went to Giggles Comedy Club on Saturday night. Uh, A riot. There was Johnny Peasy, Greg Murphy, uh, Steve Sweeney. A great lineup. We had a blast. Laughed my balls off. So thank you. You could have told me those were comedians or. Junior league hockey players coming out of Northeastern. <laughs> yeah, well, with whatever it was. Um, another shout out to one of the kids I work with, Maddie. Um, absolute riot. And he comes in with these stories about 
all these broads he's with and this, that, the other thing. So, I mean, I hope you get cauliflower on your horn and it falls off. But, Damn, uh, oh, but thank you. Thank you for letting me live vicariously through you and your stories. <laughs> I, I just laughed my balls off. So thank you on that. Um, anything else, Benny? I have to make this really random story. You mentioned that you guys went to Giggles uh, as part of Red's birthday celebration. So there was a comedy club. I think it was in Las Vegas um, that was called Giggles back in the day. And it eventually got sold and the new owner turned into a strip club and changed the name from Giggles to Jiggles. <laughs> well, but his marketing is on point. So we'll <laughs> just change one letter. <laughs> but yeah, when you said we went to Giggles, it just reminded me of hearing about that like a few years back and I had to turn my mic on mute for I didn't laugh. <laughs> uh, uh, imagine all the money he saved on signage only having to change one letter. <laughs> but yeah, glad to hear Red had a good birthday weekend. And thanks for tagging me in the uh, performance of Talladega. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, church, man. The guy is phenomenal. Um, everybody, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next week with another jam-packed episode of 2, 5, and 10. Uh, we're just trying to keep the train rolling, boys. That's all we're trying to do. We'll catch you all next week.